Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun functional issues, some problems like that, or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes, or just build one new home in its place, and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com, and when you go there, there's a contact us tab. Click on that, and you can send us a message, and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this, and hopefully we can do a deal together. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listener land, welcome back. This is episode 106 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back this week with just myself and my co-host, Mr. Steve Nassar. What's up, Steve-o? Hey, good to be back on the show. We got a short work week that um, I'm excited about. Uh, heading into Thanksgiving, just a couple more days. Gosh, you, would, you wouldn't really, it doesn't feel like your typical Thanksgiving. The, the, the weather this year has just been pretty 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 crazy how we had kind of a kind of really mild, I will say, summer, and then our our fall has just been beautiful. A um, little cold, but still very nice. I think they're supposed to get snow in like maybe Eugene over uh, right before Thanksgiving, but I think we just clear out and get uh, butt cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I heard. I was actually watching the the weather forecast yesterday. And I think the temperature is finally going to drop down to where it usually is about this time of year here in the next few days. You know, we could probably tie this in at some point to um, maybe how the market's performing because we have had a lot more sun than we normally get during this time, which uh, probably spurs a lot of people to kind of poke their head outside and say, hey. I don't think it hurts anything. I definitely don't think it hurts anything. Um, I just, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a propensity when, when, even if it's cold, but when you're sitting in your house and the sky's blue, there's a propensity. You just kind of want to get outside and do something and Sometimes maybe that something leads to some home shopping, some, you know, who knows, some open houses. Maybe, so maybe. yeah, I think it's been, I think it's been positive for us. Maybe. Well, we've had a, we've had a number of great shows. We've had some great guests uh, since we, you know, broke the 100 barrier. Um, we talked about some kind of, we'll call it, um, you know, interesting stuff on the last show with Ezra, with, uh, you know, the teardown tax, some tree code stuff, some land availability reports. Uh, but we wanted to bring it back this week and kind of just, I don't know, you, me, and the listener base talk about what's going on with us and then, of course, talk about the market. And then I've got a few headlines and things like that that I wanted to kind of air out on the show as well. So why don't you kick it off, you know, what's going on in the uh, realtor side of the business right now as we head into uh, what is basically the end of a decade. Yeah, can you believe that? I think that's quietly this. A sto- I think that's a qu- story that we that's kind of quiet right now. I uh, I remember um, four months ago or three months ago, I was on Facebook and somebody said only f- you know five months left till the end of you know the teens, and it, it kind of hit me then. I hadn't really been thinking about it, and I think it's it's off a lot of people's radars. But you know. It, it, normally, when a, a decade ends, it's kind of a big deal, and you kind of close out. I mean, think if you think about it, right? I mean, we think back to the '80s and the '90s and, and the early 2000s. I mean, this is the end of a decade. This is going to be. This is going to put a, a a bookend on what will ultimately be the teens of you know the 2000s. So uh, it is kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's been a good decade, I'll say. Um, I've I've enjoyed this decade. I, uh, um, it's been a, a fun one for me. It's been a kind of interesting journey. I, I started um, my real estate side of the career selling real estate in the tw- in 2012. So I spent a good chunk of my decade doing that. Um, as for me, 
me. What is going on in my world? Well, a <clears throat> couple things um, that I've just been working on. You know, I like to, this time of year, first of all, normally there, I think of it as a, a, a seasonal slowdown. I have to say, I don't feel that seasonal slowdown this year. Um, the leads and the listings and the buyers seem to be still coming at me fast and furious. And and um and they're moving they're you know it's one thing you know you can you could argue well okay steve you know you've got your business is dialed or you're doing th a few things right so you've got you know strong leads coming your way but the leads are actually going into escrow the listings are getting activity the buyers are finding homes and getting offers accepted so i don't think it's just me i think the market is is healthy and i think um this this year and and we we kind of tied it into the weather too tucker right maybe that's playing a little bit of a role the fact that we've had just far more blue sky days this fall than we've had gray sky days and rainy days um so that said normally this time of year i kind of like to use a little bit of what should be that seasonal slowdown to kind of just revamp look at look back what what is what has been working what needs to to be retooled. I like to really analyze my systems, you know, they really fall into two two basic systems, your buying system, you know, from when a buyer first reaches out to you till you close and every step of that process. And then on the listing side, there's all the systems there. And I guess a third key system would be your database and and your follow up with mostly past clients. Um but alongside that, I like to revamp my marketing. Um, this year, a couple things I've done that are pretty noteworthy. I completely revamped my website. Luckily, I didn't have to start from scratch. Premier Property Group um, has an amazing platform that we've built out. I, I led the charge in this, um, where we cr created not only a, a beautiful company website, but then there's sub-agent websites that can be offshoots of that where you're given a template to, to begin with and you can customize it as little as much as you want. Um, the template itself is pretty awesome right out of the, the shoot, but then agents can go in there, they can you know change, put on their bio, they can customize pages. And when all said and done, it's a pretty, pretty snazzy looking site. I'd encourage any of our listeners, if they want, check out my website. Um, and for that matter, there's a lot of other PPG agents that have similar sites. I think um, you'd be very impressed with that. And it makes it very, very easy to have a beautiful website, which at the end of the day, I mean, the way I view my website, <clears throat> it's not that I think, you know, some some stranger in cyber world is going to land on that site necessarily and, and go, hey, I want to use this guy. Um, it's more for people that, I, that I'm already engaging elsewhere, right? In other words, if somebody's referred to me, most the usually the first thing they're going to do is they're going to Google you or go to your website, check out what you have to say there, and and that's where I think the value is. Not to mention all the other places you put. Let your me website. let me ask you a question real quick. So sure. in this era of like, you know, we're kind of in a new era of marketing, right? Like websites have been around for a while, but I know there's agents and you know other people as well that put a lot of emphasis into like their social pages, right? Do you use those much for like connecting with people, getting leads, talking to people, trying to create an influence? Um, how does that tie to your business? Or do you know anybody in PPG that does a lot of that to kind of generate leads or connect with their potential customer base? Um, boy, 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 boy. Um, that's a big question, but I no, 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 no. It's a great question. Um, I think I I think it's a place people will look. I think it's important to have a presence. I don't see it being the primary place and I don't see it being a huge source of business. I've dabbled with Facebook, um, Tucker, <clears throat> and I just can't, I, I tried, I actually had a pretty, I had a pretty sharp guy that I partnered up with. I'll, t I'll tell you exactly what I did. It's kind of interesting. And I thought it was going to work. Because it, I mean, everything about it sounded um, sounded just really, really compelling to me on paper. And we tried it, and I never got one lead out of it. But basically, this guy came to me, and he was he he was a, a divorce attorney, very um, very successful divorce attorney who who was also very techie. And he came to me, he said, "Hey, look, I, I designed this thing where I pull court records for Washington County, Clackamas County, Multnomah County." And I'm able to pull every day all the filings for divorce, and I immediately 
run them through a system, find them on Facebook and put an ad in their feed. <clears throat> and, um, and for him, he, he, he said it was working well. He goes, he goes, I'm wondering, I think this could tie to your business as well. I think ultimately those people, probably a lot of them have houses to sell. So if we could do, get you in their Facebook feed as a, uh, as a, you know, successful listing agent, I think there, there's something there. We did that campaign for six months and um, we got a lot of views, but we never got the rubber just never hit the road. Um, and I was spending a decent amount of money. I mean, uh, towards the end there, I was spending three, four thousand dollars a month on this campaign. And I really I really it's sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, on paper. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. I mean, it, it really did sound good. And I was like, hey, I think there's something here. I mean, he and he he had a he had a dialed system. And when I mean that he really did know how to take the court public records and put them into Facebook, find the people's email, you know, find them on Facebook and then get you in, in front of them. But I, it just never materialized. So <clears throat> I, um, it, it's kind of soured me a little bit to Facebook. You know, I, I go on Facebook and I hear of other people where they're putting ads up, you know, buy with me, sell with me and certain zip codes and other things. And, and I just, I, to me, it seems like such an inefficient splatter of marketing, right? I mean, of all those people, how many are truly in the market to do something? And if they are, is that where it's going to get triggered, right? I mean, are you just scrolling through your Facebook feed one day, looking at, you know, cat pictures and all of a sudden... <laughs> <laughs> cat pictures are popular on YouTube. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, I need to sell my house. Here's the guy. I mean, I just don't think that is the progression of how things work. Um, I'm, and I'm not down on Facebook advertising. I think it has a lot of value for other products. I just don't know if it's our product. Um, one thing I, I do that I do believe in, <clears throat> and we're seeing this more and more all the time with Facebook. Do you notice, and I think Alexa is playing a role in this. <laughs> like, I swear, sometimes you'll have a conversation in your house and then like the next day or a few hours later, you'll be on your Facebook feed and something is being marketed to you. Have you noticed that? Should we test it right now? I'll open Facebook on my phone. And uh, what should I talk about? We need, um, let's golf, say, golf clubs. Golf clubs. Golf yeah. clubs. Golf clubs. All right, I said it three times. We'll see if I start getting served <laughs> golf club ads. Uh, I'll let you know. We'll we'll keep yeah, our listeners yeah. close. Yeah. But also, I mean, we have we have Alexa, we have the Google Voice things. I I I just believe that those things are all communicating and somehow getting in our Facebook feed. The other and go obviously Google does it when you do a search, right? Like the other day, the other day I drove by the Beaverton Porsche dealership and I saw really beautiful car in front. And I was like, I wonder what that was. And I'm Googling Beaverton Porsche. And then now it's all over my Facebook feed, right? Well, I don't think that's terrible marketing. I do something similar. So here's what I do. And it's a company and, and our listeners, I mean, a lot of them are probably familiar with it. It's called AdWorks. They make it pretty easy for you to put your database into their system and, and, an, and a Facebook ad. And now all of your past, and you just put the email address of all your clients. And now all of those clients are seeing you in their Facebook feed. One cool thing that I do is whenever I get a new client, we immediately add them to that. And I, I truly was at a listing appointment about, um, gosh, two months ago. And um, I was competing on the listing appointment. It was going well. And she goes, I got to be honest with you. I was impressed by one thing. We, we talked to you on Monday. And like by Wednesday, you're all over my Facebook feed. And, I, and, and she was kind of impressed with it. And I said, hey, if I can't market myself, how, how, how can I be qualified to come market your house, right? So I think there's value in that type of strategic advertising where you maybe have a database client and you want to be in their Facebook feed or you have a new client you want to be in their Facebook feed. But to just splatter out there randomly um, and hope that th that sticks, I don't, I don't know if that's the best approach. I haven't found success with it. Let's just say that. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody has. Well, I think that's good advice. So that's why, yeah. that's why I asked, but it sounds like good advice. I mean, you're just basically throttling your spend to people that are somewhat familiar with you as opposed to totally cold leads, right? Exactly. And I, th and I think that's where the value of a website is too, right? I mean, it's not that I'm, I'm taking my website and I'm trying to put it in a bunch of random people. I know that I, I, I want to get it in front of the people that already have heard my name or already maybe kicking the tires of what I have to offer. Um, so let me, let me chat about a few other things. We did an awesome client appreciation event 
Tucker. Um, I think I talked about it a little bit on here, but we uh, we rented out a theater at um, Bridgeport um, Village, and um, we uh, it was Maleficent Two was the movie. It was it was about a month, a little over a month ago that we did it. Awesome traction from it. We got we got all of our vendors involved, including inspectors, photographers, you know, um, contractors, lenders, title. They all donated a gift basket. Um, everybody that came was able to register for their three favorite gift baskets. We ended up having about twelve of them, including courtside blazer tickets and center court blazer tickets. Um, it turned out really, really good. We had a professional photographer there shooting photos and video. And what ultimately happened, and, and I really, really believe in this formula, and I, uh, I'm absolutely going to do it every year moving forward. Um, what we did from there was, um, as everybody came in, they registered, they got free entrance to the movie for them and their entire family, up to six people. They also got a $25 gift card to concessions, and then they got to enter into three of the bas- three of the 12 baskets, the three that they wanted. And we kind of did that strategically so that people weren't, you know, winning stuff they didn't care about or didn't want. Um, so then we take all the baskets into the theater. We had over 300 people. We had about, believe it or not, and this was something we learned in this process. We had 475 RSVP'd. So we got a theater that held 500 some people, like 510 people. But, but we ended up, we, what we learned is you have about 30, 40% that don't show up. And so we're going to take that moving forward and kind of uh, adjust our theater accordingly. And, that's that was one of the big takeaways. I'd, I'd say most everything we did with this event went off flawless, with with that exception that we thought we were going to have more there than we did, and so we ups, upsized the theater and ended up having um having a little bit more theater than we needed. Um, but that said, we 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 go into the theater. Um, I I get to introduce my team because in the theater I have a I have a microphone. Uh, you have a captive audience of three hundred some of your um past clients. And, um, and then I was able to give away, um, each of the, uh, each of the gift baskets. And so how that worked was I'd pull a name out of a basket, but before I'd pull the name out of the basket, I, this was what was really cool and kind of worked out well was I would talk a little bit about that vendor and the value that they add to my team. And it was kind of a subtle way to promote myself and my business without promoting myself and my business. In other words, I'm not saying, Hey, I'm amazing. I've got great photos. You know, you should use me to sell your house. I'm saying, here's our photography partner. They are the best at what they do. Here's what they do. And here's why we value them so much. And now we're going to give away their basket. Right. And you do that across the board with all your service providers. When it's all said and done, it gives a really strong sales pitch about you and your your business. So that worked out really, really well. And we left there. We had multiple referrals. We had a couple referrals that night. Um, it's just been a, a nice wave of momentum, and it's been it's been a huge boost to my business. And it really is powerful to control your own destiny and not just rely on a like a Zillow or some some other type of lead source, but to create your own funnel of business. And and that's something that has been a huge push of mine in 2019 and something that we've done very well and I'm very excited about. So that was cool. Um, I just um, brought on a new team member last week um, that we're onboarding them. Um, one thing I would encourage our listeners, those of you with teams, one thing, I, you know, I talk to sometimes, sometimes I talk to um, other team, um, you know, team leaders and I'm like, you know, they're talking to me about the woes of bringing on a new person. One thing I will tell you that we do that is invaluable is we have an onboarding checklist. It's, it's probably about 20 steps. Everything you need to do from, you know, getting them a new email, adding them to your website, um, getting IT, getting them set up with um, IT company that we partner with, just on and on and on. Everything that needs to be done so that you, and by the way, when you, when you've, um, somebody leaves your team, you do the reverse process as well. So it's just a, it's just a quick little, um, checklist. It's actually just a word document, nothing fancy, but, and as, as you think of new things, you add them and as you tweak things, you, you tweak them. Um, <clears throat> so other things going on, two more things and I'll, I'll, I'll cut it away to you, Tucker. I have a listing in Vernonia that's about to go pending. In fact, I just got a text, um, that I think is that the out. one that, uh, it's been out there for a while. Kind yeah. Of back yeah. Contingent. <laughs> Bad buyer, now a good buyer, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, Have you ever been to Vernonia? I've driven by the sign. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't think I had ever been to Vernonia until about four or five years ago. I've done a couple deals and I've, I've, um, I shouldn't say couple deals. Gosh, I've shown a couple homes out there and I think I had one buyer once. Yeah. It's, uh, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. You're not missing a lot. You're not <laughs> missing hey, a lot. Don't they have the like Verboost Sausage Festival or something out there? Uh, they might. Yeah. 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 It's kind of, uh, I'll, 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 I'll put it this way, Tucker. It's kind of like the Estacada of the West Side, right? Um, I mean, it is way out there. It's pretty. Make no mistake. It's really pretty. But when you get there, it's, uh, I mean, it's a pretty depressed town i'd say you know it's well, it's strong they, in the logging industry what do they call uh estacada what's the uh the the slang word for it you probably don't want to say it in <laughs> remember <laughs> you'll have to tell me off the air i, I yeah. think i'm sure it's gonna be good yeah, um I said it. dan probably got it but uh it's uh it yeah it, you know it's just rural <laughs> it's a little depressing at times especially on rainy days probably more than yeah other. i mean there's just i mean I mean, not and I'm, I'm, there, it's so far out there, and this. Okay, so here's the interesting thing about it. My listing is about a million dollar property. The guy, my my seller, and they're they're great people, by the way. Um, and they're born and re born and raised uh in that area, but very successful. He actually is the number two employer out in Vernonia. He's he's he runs a logging business. He's got about thirty different guys that work for him. He's got a large you know operation. I guess the number one employer in Vernonia is the school system, and he's like the number two. This property is the highest, um, uh, has the highest assessed value in in Vernonia. I mean, a million dollar property. I mean, if you go down, step down from a million dollar property, and I'm not talking about obviously there might be some farms that get up there, but I'm talking about a single family home, you know, just on a few acres. Um, it's a very nice home, but it was very challenging to sell because you are in this community where there isn't that. There isn't that those types of buyers because that drive from Vernonia from Vernonia into the metro area is a solid fifty minutes, right? Well, here's a question for you. Then <laughs> this uh, you might have gotten past this hurdle, but I've had real pain in the ass with appraisers this year. Like we've, I mean, we've lost almost fifty thousand dollars this year just on bad appraisals, right? Um, have you gotten through the? appraisal hurdle on this one yet because it sounds like there's not many comps here's the good news here's the good news my buyer's coming from the bay area um and uh <laughs> it's kind of comical have you ever heard of reverse sticker shock <laughs> i mean these, i get where you're going people, i looked up their house that's pending in in redwood city it's like a million and a half dollars tucker it is the most average probably 16 1700 square foot ranch you've ever seen in your life a million and a half dollars they're going up to Vernonia. And they're buying for you know nine hundred fifty thousand dollars, a four thousand square foot you know tw you know eighteen year old beautiful finishes you know just just everything going on for it. Um, they're putting they're putting uh, like eighty percent down. I have a feeling we'll have an appraisal waiver, and even if we didn't, I think we'll be okay. So that's the good news. There's not going to be um, that value push on the appraisal process. But been an interesting process, and uh, I'm excited to have that one uh, finally go. It was listed before me by another agent for two years. Um, so <laughs> wow, way to back clean up. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my uh, joke with my sellers when um, when I I went there, and and I I told them I said, look, guys, you know, we, our appointment. I went to my listing appointment one day. It was like uh, you know around lunchtime, and I stopped in at the local Vernonia Subway for lunch, and I was just kind of taking it all in. It's, it's just an interesting population there. <laughs> I don't know how to exactly say that without being nice. But, um, I was telling him, I was like, you, know, it takes a special breed of person to want to live in Vernonia. And most of them don't, can't afford a million dollar house. I said, what we really need is somebody, um, from Vernonia to win the lottery. <laughs> 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 that was my joke with them but we ended up getting a californian i think they probably work from home don't need to commute and they're they're they love it i mean truly they're they're going from the most average home in in the bay area to a mansion in vernonia and and dropping their price point by you know 33 percent. so they they must be happy and uh so there you have it and then the last thing i'll say um i have had just a a a a bunch of 
listings that are coming to me that were previously listed with other agents. I don't ever target expired listings. I want to be really clear there. That's not my, that's not my niche. That's not my thing. But for whatever reason, I just keep having these, uh, there's, there's sellers out there that aren't selling and they've reached out to me. So currently that one is one of them. I, I feels like I have five, six listings. What do that you were, think is the biggest reason since you have so many of these that they aren't selling the first time around? Are they just simply priced too high or is it a combination of that and maybe inadequacy on the agent? I mean, what do you I think? I think it's both. I think it's both. I do think, um, I do think sellers have a tendency at first to go with their buddy agent, you know, that, that person they know. And sometimes that works, you know, sometimes they get lucky and they don't know otherwise, but other times, um, and I mean, and I'd say probably a good chunk of the time, it's not until they go through down that path for a while that they realize that not agents, not all agents are created equal, right? There's, there's a, tendency that if your buddy is an agent and you haven't sold your house in 20 years and you're, you know, you like your buddy that you're going to go, Hey, you know, you're an agent. I need an agent. Let's do this. And I think several of these situations have been that. And, and to your point, Tucker, sometimes those people do price it high and, and sometimes, um, you know, they, uh, they learn through that process. So, um, there you have it. All right. Well, yeah. It's uh, I know you've been on the other end of it too, but you know, fighting the battle with people that want to list too high. Right. And then you've, they, for whatever reason, just kind of lay down and go, okay, next agent, you will price it a hundred grand less. Right. And then that yeah. always sucks on that. Speaking end. Speaking of which did upper drive go pending? Uh, did it I, believe it, I believe it did. I saw a car in the driveway. Uh, I drove by yesterday, but I didn't see a sign up. Um, oh. I haven't tracked it, but I'm I, looking it up right now. I so, thought it went pending for substantially less than what yeah. it originally was listed for, which no surprise there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, it happens. It happens. And sometimes, sometimes you just get a uh, a special breed of crazy, and <laughs> and it is what it yeah. is, and there's not much you can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, crazy clients are crazy clients. Well, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, What's we going on in your world? Well, we're um, man, we're. We're cranking. Uh, I will say, you know, just to kind of tie in with the market stuff that we're going to talk about the numbers here real quick um, in just a second. But, you know, our last three projects that have gone to market, um, you know, with a combined, you know, volume of, I guess, units sold of uh, over five million dollars. You know, we've had three days on market, uh, actually two days on market for the last three projects. So I would say market wise, that's, you know pretty compelling. Uh, considering last year we were, you know, I've said this before on the show, but we were kind of teetering on like, well, is this the end of a, of a good run? And then here we are this year and uh, things keep seem to be moving very quickly. We've sold a couple projects before we even go to market. Um, we've got a few more coming up that'll probably sell the same. So, Hey, yeah. hey get this Tucker. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry, but I got to tell you this upper sold for nine fifty. Yeah, what did you originally have it listed for? One two, one two. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I told her we're a little high. I wanted to be. I wanted to start at one one. My gosh, man, that that that's that's crazy. That's well, crazy. There See, there yeah. was there wasn't anything wrong with you. It just was a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's not me. It's you. Help me help you. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, it. Uh, you know, I think, I think the right house to tie into what you just said there, like. And also what I just mentioned is that the right house sells for a premium, right? Like that house, for example, right? It could square foot wise, it could comp in one, 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 two range, but there were things about it that wouldn't allow it to sell there, obviously. And so I think that's just something that sellers need to recognize. And I think honestly, that's something that, um, you know, it's hard in your position if seller won't recognize it, but sometimes agents don't recognize it either. And then they get houses that sit. I mean, I've seen a lot of people on masters that are like, I priced this house and we're not getting any showings. It's a beautiful, amazing house. And it's like, well, why isn't getting any showings? It's probably 90s, you know, mm -hmm. dated. It's clean, mm -hmm. but it's probably dated or it's this or that. So, I mean, there's always a reason why something doesn't sell. That one was, I mean, you knew what you were up against. Um, that one was, what I didn't like about that house is it was built in 2014, but it had amenities from like 2007, right? Yeah. 
it was at a time where the where the buyer tastes were starting to go to white kitchens and you know newer amenities and lighter colors yet it had like the dark woods and it had like really like um it had like amenities that i thought fought each other like you had a granite that kind of fought with like the flooring it was just it was kind of a funky house in that regards great location the floor plan itself wasn't bad and it had a nice flat lot decent yard but the amenities just so it it kind of they were pricing it like one of your you know houses across the street that was you know the tastes of today ready turnkey ready to go but that wasn't the case yeah yeah it's a it's a tough battle to fight especially when people keep a house clean they think that clean means updated but clean doesn't always mean updated to today's standards right or today's taste yeah so, but yep. Anyway, um, other than that, you know, it's a big week uh, for us. We actually have um, the most recent uh, issue of Oregon Home comes out this week, and we're going to be on the cover, as well as a six-page spread that they did on our Duntor project. Nice. Um, so I just proofed it all up on Friday and uh, gave it the green light. So uh, it looks good. It's going to be a really cool issue, and um, it's a nice little kind of feather in our cap, I guess, to get the cover. Um, what was which your is, final sales price on that? I mean, uh, We were at uh, $3.15 Nice. So, nice, 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 uh, nice. Which for us is obviously the most expensive home we've sold by a little bit. But um, I also think it's the most expensive home sold this year that was a spec home um, built by a builder. So, <laughs> so yeah. That takes, that takes some kahunas. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I guess that, that would qualify me as having some kahunas, right? Um, but uh, there's, not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of people out there building spec homes with that much confidence in their product. I, I give you that one, Tucker. That, you know, it was funny. I saw uh, Andre when we were at Street of Dreams over the summer, and he knew that we were building it. And he's like, I like it that you have the balls to build that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So, yeah, yeah. I, in a slightly more Russian accent. Um, you are you are unique. I have to, I'll, 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 uh, I remember the one time I, I called you, this was, this was three, four years ago and it's, it's just your style and, and it, it's not a bad thing. I mean, it, it shows your confidence and, and, and I, I'll give Joni credit for that too. Cause she's, she's amazing at helping you, you know, dial it in and pick out the right stuff. But I remember I had a $2 million buyer and you were building something. I want to say it was Goodall maybe or something a few years ago. Maybe, maybe it wasn't. I forget what street it was on. No, we had one on NOS. It was about 2 million. Maybe it was NOS. And I, and I called you and I said, Hey, uh, I've got a buyer. I'm thinking about showing it to him. By the way, if, if, if they're interested, would you change colors and, and, you know, um, you know, help them allow them to pick up some of the amenities. And you're like, Nope. <laughs> yeah and i'm like i'm like really <laughs> but it's, I mean, that's your style that's your thing is yeah, you, you just you just you go out of the shoot you have a vision and you're just gonna do that and if a buyer wants that great if they don't then somebody yeah, else will it's it's tough like when i you know it sounds like i was being rude but really i was it's you know when you're on our side there's two ways to do this business right there's the custom home game and there's the spec home game and the custom home game especially when you get up in the higher price points the reason why a lot of those custom homes then have a hard time reselling at some point for like what the people think that they should get is because people's tastes aren't often great tastes right in, yeah. in terms of the market overall people build what they want and so for us we've just done enough houses like we know what people will love and sometimes buyers just don't know what they don't know until they see the end product and they're like oh that's great and so like that house that we sold um you know some of the best buyers that we've ever sold to by the way on that nos road house uh but they came in and they were like we trust you we've seen pictures of your house and then once it's done they absolutely loved it and that's kind of the way with everything so that that's why i answered that way but yeah it's I mean, and that's also our, our shtick too, right? Like we're not a, a custom home builder. I mean, that's why we've got, you know, the cover of Oregon Home and a six-page spread on this this house that we built in Duntorp, right? Because it it's a captivating home. The design is on point. Our end product is not built to satisfy a particular buyer, but it's meant to wow the market overall, right? Like that's mm -hmm. what so anyway, we with that being said, now we're moving on to probably our next um Probably our, it'll be our second biggest project in terms of price point, but we're going to build out our Lakeview house um, that's on Upper Drive. Actually, it's about an acre, a little under an acre that looks over the lake. And so we're going to break ground on that starting in uh, January. So we're pretty excited about that. We met with uh, the architect to kind of revamp some plans that we've had in with the city forever now that we've kind of figured out and, and uh, gotten over the uh, potential slide area 
challenge. I won't say it's an issue. It's just a challenge the way that the city mapped it. But we've got that all taken care of. It's completely safe to build on. And so we met with the architect on Friday. We got a really cool uh, design for it to kind of revamp the existing plan that was in. It's been sitting in uh, with the city for long enough to be dated, we'll call it, right? So we revamped the look of it, the floor plan a little bit. And uh, so we're going to kick that off in January, which I'm pretty excited about. And, That's uh, a great location. You've got lake views, you said, right? Yeah, it'll probably be two six to two eight house um when we're done with it something like that it's panoramic i mean it's the best lake view you can possibly get it's the the main lake you get panoramic of the entire main lake it's you know you're looking at you know five million dollar homes all across the board you know across from you um or three four five million dollar homes all the way across i mean right below you there's two homes that sold for five and a half so it's it's a great spot it's an amazing view if somebody put a pool in back there which i would highly advise that whoever buys it does it would be the coolest pool in all of Lake Oswego without question. So Yeah. What's your timelines? You start it in January. When do you think you wrap it up? Is it a year? No, we'll probably be done like um, August. I would say oh, that's wow. probably going to be about a, a seven month, seven and a half month build, something like that. When is all that construction on Boone's done? Because I, I could see that helping you if yeah. It, you know, I think that's priced into the area now, though, to be honest with you. People kind of have the foresight to see ahead on that. Um, yeah, I agree. I it's going to be a little bit of a longer project, probably another year or so um, to gotcha. get completed with everything. But it's it'll be a- amazing. I mean, I was just at a, a neighborhood uh, party on uh, Saturday night with a bunch of other neighbors that I used to live right across the street from. And, you know, some one of them was thinking about moving uh, out of the area. And then they're like, you know, we're just going to stay because all this stuff is going on once it's done here in a year. Like it'll basically be like downtown Lake Oswego and Lake Grove, but a mm-hmm. little more easy to get to freeway and stuff. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited for that to be all finished up uh, at some point, but it'll be it'll be really cool. So. Yeah. And then you've got what's happening there on the corner cruise. I mean, that is just that's really starting to take off. I mean, you can see the magnitude of that project and that's just going to be amazing. Um, there's some really nice stuff happening there, by the way, um, that, uh, that, um, adult care home on the corner of Cruz and Boone's, um, which is now kind of looking like it's about done. I was, um, their sales center is around the corner from there. And one of my friends, um, has an office in there. Um, and I was walking by there and I, I, I actually, popped in there. I was like, Hey, when you guys are done with that adult care home, are you going to have an open house? She said, yeah, absolutely. There's going to be one in um, January. Realtors are welcome. I might actually pop in there. I think that place is going to be pretty posh and pretty impressive. No, it's already, it's already booked out. You couldn't get a place yeah. where you wanted to now, but yeah, it, it looks nice. I mean, that was yeah. a, a big addition to that corner. I think obviously the, all the construction on the other corner is going to look really nice as well and kind of complete the area. But Man, they've got the waterfall out front. It looks yeah. very swanky and nice for a. You I, know, I heard there's a pool on the roof. I could be wrong, but I think there's a pool on the roof. I mean, that's a that's a that's that's where you go when uh, that's luxury <laughs> old people living right there, man. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, well, we're excited. We're gonna kick off some new stuff. We got a, a handful of other projects going on in Lake O2, kind of more um, entry level stuff. We're kind of balancing what we're doing right now. We've got some high end stuff that we're finishing up, and we're gonna start. And then we've got some more entry level product, both new construction and renovation wise. So we've kind of got a you know a mix going across the board. But um, other than that, I wanted to bring up a couple of things um, real quick, just kind of headline wise. I know that we had um, mentioned some of this stuff with uh, Ezra on the show previously, but you know, we had talked about the teardown tax with him that Lake Oswego was going to impose. And what's funny is right after we published that show, uh, an article came out about it, not only in the Daily Journal of Commerce, but also in the, um, oh, what is it, the uh, the business newspaper for across the country. Portland. But, oh, uh, Wall Street Journal? Yes, yeah, the Wall Street yeah. Journal. So we got national attention for something that um, obviously we were talking to uh, our HBA friend about it uh, right before then. So it's it's making waves nationally. We'll see from what I've heard, it's going to get pushed through, um, you know, politically. That's just kind of where the pressure points are. But uh, it's it's kind of crazy to see what's going on there. And then on the other side, so as we go a little, you know, a little farther north into the city of Portland from Lake Oswego, last week um, there was kind of a, you know, a surprise vote uh, from city council, which, you know, off the record, I got the uh, insight that it was really uh, our mayor just kind of ramrodding this through. But they essentially are now going to require us as builders to hand demo anything that was built before 1940, whereas previously it was 1915, and so. I don't know if this is kind of to combat 
um, the zoning bill that got pushed through similar to what the teardown tax is. But I can say that it definitely increases the cost of redevelopment significantly because when you're doing hand demos, I mean, it's probably, let's call it somewhere between ten dollars and $20,000 additional cost plus time. Um, you know, you also have your carry costs and things like that as a developer. So there's a lot to kind of take in there. Um, and that article came out last week, as I said. So that was kind of a, a quick curveball that came into us. And uh, I posted out on social about it as well. So the way that that kind of works just for our listener base to kind of understand so I can connect the dots for them is that, you know, you've got the cost of what it is to purchase a property. You've got the cost to build it. And then you've got the redevelopment costs that kind of are all tied in as well. And so if you increase the redevelopment costs, that money can only come from two different places, you know, in terms of where you're going to make it up. And one of them is going to be from the seller of land. Uh, and the other one is going to be the end price of the home. And so at this point, you know, if we look at our, uh, I'm looking at the market action report right now, Stephen, it says that we're up, you know, 1.8%, basically no change, right, in the last 12 months. So you're not going to be able to grab any more of that money on the uh, higher sale price end. So then we as developers have to factor it in as additional cost of redevelopment which then punishes those people that have owned property for a long time uh, in the city of Portland. So it's an unfortunate thing. I get what they're trying to do, uh, which is basically try and make us a very green city. But my beef with it, my biggest thing is that, you know, if they had a program where they actually thought this out a little better and they said, look, we want you as developers to not tear down houses uh, with machinery. We want you to hand demo them. And to do that, we're going to incentivize you. And since our SDC fees and our, our building permit fees are so high here, they could say, look, we'll offset the cost of whatever the hand demo is, you know, and they could build an algorithm or get an average cost of whatever it is per square foot, and they could allocate it towards the building permit. And they'll say, look, we'll take this much off your building permit, which may have to be a little more than the cost of doing it so that we as builders save some money by doing it, right? Like that would be, in my opinion, a responsible way to be green because- What, what makes it greener, Tucker? Is it because it, the 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 the, um, the bulldozer- um, runs on gasoline no not so much they think that um in theory that a lot of the building materials from these older homes can be reused and some of it can some of it can't um it, you know most of these older homes are complete shit to be honest with you so <laughs> you know there's re it's really not a universal across the board that stuff is going to be able to be reused but when you tear it down with machinery you put it in dumpsters a lot of that gets sifted and sorted anyway not to the highest degree that maybe it could. And so there's thinking by hand demoing it, it gets sorted completely and everything that can be reused may get reused, may. Um, and so that's the idea behind it. But there's also time and cost uh, associated with it. You know, additional time, cost. additional cost. My gosh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, and it's it's challenging because there's also not that many outfits that do hand demo. <clears throat> so time is a big thing. Cost is also obviously at the top of the list as well. But my thing is, is that, you know, our mayor should have, you know, had enough foresight to say, you know what, we want to be green. I want to be known for this, but I'm also going to be builder friendly, you know, and I'm not going to punish either the homeowners or the builders. So let's maybe take a little bit of fees off of our building permit costs, which are absurd uh, to say the least, and kind of offset that. But they didn't do that. They just kind of rammed this through. So it's really frustrating for me in the building community for the politicians and the city leaders to constantly say, we want more in between housing. We want more affordable housing. And they're saying that out of one side of their mouth to get elected or to kind of pander to the constituency. But then on the other side, they're doing stuff like this with no offset in the cost um, for the additional, you know, redevelopment challenges or, you know, hoops that we have to jump through. So it's it's really kind of a bummer. I don't know where this ends. I don't know how much of this is tied to that, you know, zoning bill that got pushed through uh, earlier this year that we talked about. Um, but it just seems like it's one thing after another um, in terms of additional costs and additional hoops that we have to jump through as developers. Did you say it was homes built before 1940? Yes. Where does that factor in? Like, I mean, why, if a home was built in, I mean, and, and I, I guess not a lot of homes built in the 80s or 70s are torn down, but assume one is being torn down. Why is the material in that less reusable? So the logical answer is that if something's torn down, like on the upside of that, right, like 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe we should hand demo those houses because they're not in as bad a shape. There's probably more materials that could be reused, right? going back older, it really doesn't make a lot of logical sense. But what they're trying to do is basically, they know the age of 
the average age of homes that are torn down, like there were 200 and some homes torn down last year, right? In the city of Portland. So they probably went through that and they said, okay, where's the bulk of the, you know, uh, year built of those houses? Where is that? And anything before 1915, I won't say anything, but a large percentage of stuff that a builder buys before 1915 or or a developer or a a rehabber, they're probably going to want to tear it down. If they rehab it, they're going to say, I should have torn it down most of the time just because of the way (laughs) the construction is and the challenges of those projects. But they probably saw a big chunk of homes that are built in the 20s, 30s, um, you know, late 30s. And they said, hey, you know, we want these to be hand demoed as well. So that's probably why they arbitrarily set the line in the sand at 1940, because there was probably a a large number of homes that were newer than 1915, but maybe were a little bit older than 1940. And they wanted to grab those as well. That's my guess. Do you think it has something to do with preserving older homes? It may, um, but I would challenge anybody that has that stance to spend a day with me and go look at a lot of these. Oh, old sure. Homes. No, no, I'm um, not disagreeing with you. I, I think it's a, yeah. you know, it, it's definitely factors in. I think that it's a, it's a hypothetical world that people live in to say that it's an older home and it's got historic significance because it's just an older home and we should want to, you know, salvage those things. But, you know, the reality is, is that most of these 30s homes, 20s homes that, you know, we go look at and buy as a builder at a builder price. The reason we're buying them at a builder price is because nothing's ever been updated. We're talking old knob and two. We're talking barely has a foundation, um, you know, crooked. Uh, you know, the roof hasn't been replaced since the 70s. You know, there's not a lot to be salvaged. I mean, there is some, but there's just not, there's zero hi- historic significance to virtually all these homes as well. So I, I don't know. Has an energy score of negative two. Yeah. <laughs> there's, negative. there's a there's an irony too, right? So the yeah. same city that comes out with energy scores and wants everything to be efficient is now saying, no, 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 keep the old homes, don't tear them down, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's basically what they're saying. So it's, I don't know, man, we're in an interesting time. Next year, we'll, we'll see how it kind of all plays out. You've got that, you've got the teardown tax, you've got the new tree code potentially shifting. Um, there's just a lot of factors at play um, that kind of go against creating that more affordable housing that everybody wants and needs. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I'm not really happy with that decision. Um, I think that the the city and our leaders could probably have done it in a better fashion. But, uh, you know, I'm not at the head of that snake, so I can't make those yeah. decisions. So, so anyway, that's, that's what's I going feel on for you with guys. That. I feel for you guys. I mean, I read your post, Tucker. We talk about it on the show. And <clears throat> you guys, um, you guys definitely have a a unique set of challenges and um, and it takes a special skill set to be successful at what you guys do. And it's not necessarily just the, you know, the, the building side and the design side, it's, it's navigating the waters of let of, you know, legislative legislators and municipalities and my gosh. I mean, I mean, if you want to hear something crazy, we have another project in Lake Oswego. There is city sewer, that's managed by clean water services right in front of the house. We've been trying to tap sewer for two months and they cannot figure out a process to allow us to tap sewer. That's well, that's that that's where what it's in, it, it's in Lake Oswego. It's in an unannexed portion of Lake Oswego. Um, oh, so the one off it. of um, Washington. Yeah, over in that area. Yeah. But there's actually sewer. A lot of times there's not sewer in front of these houses, but we actually have sewer running right in front of the house. And it's been two months and we can't figure out a legal path to tap sewer. So it's, you know, on along that street, there's been a few rogue tappings because people run into this and they're like, well, sewer's there. Can you guys figure out the paperwork to allow us to tap? And they literally cannot figure it out. So yeah, it's, it's challenging to go back to your point. There's You know, there's the building side, right? Of just like the sticks and bricks and building a home. And then there's everything else yeah everything else yeah. is really the challenge the building side that's kind of the easy part comparatively it's it's dealing with everything else that's the bigger challenge it kind of reminds me and this is gonna scare you tucker but it kind of reminds me of the mortgage business right i mean remember there towards the end of our time in that business you know half half of your half the battle is you know doing loans finding clients you know m- you know working with realtors and then the other half is just keeping up with the regulation changes and keeping up and just and just i mean adapting to the change and <clears throat> it feels like there's an element of that in your world <laughs> yeah constant change right yeah um, and, and generally not not to make things easier it usually makes things no. more difficult so i know i know and just as you think you have it figured out it changes again and it's 
Hey, it's, you, it's you're welcome challenging. to come to my side. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and so here's the last thing I wanted to say. Um, kind of a, a little interesting tidbit, and and you might find this interesting. And I I I would prod you and PPG to maybe think about this because I think that this is the direction that the world of iBuyers is going. So there's a large national um, real estate brokerage that has now decided to get into the iBuyer world. And they, instead of being an iBuyer themselves, they've created a platform for their agents. So when their agents go out and they see a property that is maybe not um, retail ready, or maybe it's a, a property where the people are like, I just want to sell this thing like tomorrow, but I don't want to necessarily you know, put my information in Zillow or Open Door and have them buy it, I wanna maintain this agent relationship because I feel like that's an important part of the transaction. So what they've done is they've created a platform for their agents to be able to take these properties, whether they're retail ready or not, but they just wanna sell quickly or need to sell to a cash buyer for update reasons, repair reasons, whatnot. They put the property on the platform and they deliver it to somebody like me. So it's kind of a connection mechanism to put you know, a, a property that we could buy for cash in front of these properties and these agents who are representing them and kind of connect the dots. And so we're the first iBuyer, we'll call it, because that's what everybody calls it these days, on this platform for the Portland area. Um, oh, nice. And so it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But, you know, it. I honestly think that's the way that this world is going to go, um, you know, with some of the bigger brokerages that maybe set up these platforms to kind of connect the dots so that agents at scale have a place to take non-retail ready product and sell it quickly and efficiently so that they look good, uh, but also sell it to a professional buyer so that they get a fair price for their, um, you know, their seller at the end of the day and they can connect the dots and make a, um, you know, commission in the middle. And then obviously there's the hope then that they get some type of realist on the other side. So it becomes multiple, you know, um, checks for that potential agent um, down the road. So we're excited to be on this platform. I do think that that may be the way that a lot of these bigger brokerages go kind of moving forward to kind of play in the iBuyer space and not against it. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. And, and the cool thing about that is they're, um, they're, they're, you know, fielding it to a local pro who knows their stuff. Um, and, and, and knows that, that local market and, and, you know, can make good decisions. I, I definitely think that that platform is more sustainable than, than yeah. the, the, the open doors and the Zillows. I mean, we hear all, all the, <clears throat> you know, we hear all the doom and gloom about those. It's, it's, it's relentless, but, and I've never said that it's, you know, I've never, I've never vocalized that, you know, it's easy to compete with those guys because they don't, they're not trying to make money. They're, they're just, um, they're out there just writing checks and with no concept of, of just of, of profitability, they're just grabbing market share no different than, you know, like an Uber who is 14 years later, still hasn't turned a profit and is losing over a billion dollars per quarter. Um, and big news came out today that, you know, they're more bad news is constantly come out coming out with Uber. But, um, <clears throat> but my point is, um, I do think though, Tucker, the world is changing and I, uh, I pay a lot of attention to wall street and business news and, profitability is coming back in a big way. I mean, the need for profitability, very similar in my opinion to the dot-com bust of the early 2000s, late 90s, where nobody was nobody was thinking about making money. They're all just like, hey, I've got this cool website and there's a bunch of people looking at it. Isn't that success? And I, I would say that we live in a similar mark economy today where it's not about looks on the website, but it's about like people clicking buttons and asking for services and delivering those services, right? So like if if you go onto your Uber app or you go onto your, you know, Grubhub or or Postmates or, you know, there's a million of them, right? And you you go, hey, go deliver me dinner tonight, right? Success is gauged by the act that you push that button and somebody delivered that service. It's not gauged by the profitability of that that transaction. But I think that's going to be coming to an end. Um, the, you know, the big player and the big money on this was SoftBank. And, you know, there was a lot of people raving and saying, oh, SoftBank's got so much money, you know, it's open door. Well, they're unstoppable, right? Well, look again, <laughs> they, they just foreclosed on a company. When was the last time you heard this? That reminds me of the the, the mortgage bust, right? <laughs> WeWork, I think, was the name of the company. WeWork yeah. is the company. Think about that. 
they actually loaned money to a business and had to foreclose on it. That is the word you should use in that scenario. You can you can spin that any other way you want, but there was a complete failure in that company and they had to take it back. No different than Countrywide giving a bad loan in 2008 and going, oops, that, that, this, that didn't work. Let's take this house back. How does that affect them? Um, they had another vision fund that they were starting that was supposed to get a bunch of buy-in and no one's, no one's, um, no one's coughing up money to go into that fund. They're having, that's not even to mention people pulling their funds out. So, I mean, the world can change quickly. And and if you think a hundred billion dollars, which is what open door had in their first vision fund is a lot of money. Look back to the mortgage crisis and how much money and how fast it can get lost. Um, so when you start making bad bets in businesses that aren't making money, um, when, when the world wakes up one day and goes, Hey, maybe a business, maybe they should make money. That might be important in the process. Wait, when that world wakes up and says that things can turn really, really quickly. So my point is, as these other companies aren't making money and they're doing what you know how to make money at, um, and competing with you, they're that is such a better model where um, guys like you can help facilitate those transactions in a sustainable manner because you actually you're you're doing a good service, but you're also you know making a profit, which at the end of the day is is imperative to sustainability and you know being able to do continue yeah. doing it. Yeah, and I think the last thing I'll say is the real key to this whole platform working is that they have these things called buyer boxes. And so by bringing in iBuyers that specialize in slightly different buyer boxes, you're you know you as an agent can take a specific property to somebody who maybe is the best fit for that type of property as opposed to an across the board, I buy everything, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be the big challenge with, you know, Open Door and Zillow and things like that is that, you know, they, they can't buy everything. Um, and so they've narrowed their buyer box and they're really all only competing against, um, you know, retail ready product. And that's going to be their biggest challenge moving forward. But that, uh, that aside, um, it's an interesting time. We'll see how it goes. I do think yeah. profitability will be coming back in 2020. Um, hopefully, uh, I'll, you know, and we'll see what the conversation is a year from now that we have, uh, you know, about these iBuyer programs. Yep. Yep. So, well, let's wrap up here on, uh, just real quick, the numbers, uh, on the market action report. It shows, you know, we're at uh, the latest one came out. We're 2.4 months of inventory, which is down 0.3 from a year ago, um, up 0.3 from two years ago. Personally, you know, it looks like, uh, well, I'll say before I give my personal opinion, it, it looks like pricing is essentially flat. We're probably losing a little bit of value if you take into account inflation um, from sales to price a year ago to now. It says the average sale price changes. 1.8% um, over the last year. The median sale price change is up 1.6%. So, you know, if you take an average inflation of 3%, if we believe the government, we're, we're probably down slightly on true value of a home, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think that that's a, a sus more sustainable flattening. This would be the soft landing that they were hoping for in uh, yeah. 2007. I agree. Um, but, uh, you know, overall, I, I still feel like it's it's very, it's a healthy flat market. Um, you know, that's kind uh -huh. of my take. And I think going through the end of the year, I don't, see any changes unless you have anything you know that you know <clears throat> no i'm um we felt you know a year ago we thought the market was really turning and um and it had it i mean make no mistake we did have an ebb in the market where things really slowed up interest rates got high but um this year has been really really solid it's been um it we've we've seen healthy activity and 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 we're back the numbers are up um so closed sales from a year ago were up 6.1% from October to October. From October of 18 to October of 19, we're up 6.1%. Um, that's you know that's a that's a healthy uptick from from a year ago. Um, so yeah, I mean I feel really really good about the market where it's at. And to be honest, I mean I I think I think we're gonna continue to see a little bit more of this for for the near term. I like that prices are flat. I personally thought they might dip backwards. Um, they've been flat for a little while now. I want to say it's been seven, eight, nine months. Mm -hmm. um, and I was expecting maybe they'd even go a little negative. Not much, just like a percent or two. But no, they've, if anything, they were a little bit more flat for a while there, like, you know, at zero percent or zero point something. And now they're at 1.2% year over year. So, 
I think uh, I, I have to agree with you, Tucker. I've never seen a soft landing in my career. And I think this is, this is it. This is what a soft landing looks like. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, it'll be interesting. You know, the um, builder confidence numbers came out a couple days ago and that number was at 70, which is, you know, still very, you know, in good territory. So builders are looking forward, um, you know, basically saying, yes, we're going to move forward with uh, all these projects uh, with a fairly high level of confidence and being able to sell them on the other end. So, you know, overall, I think uh, I think we're in a good spot heading into the end of this year, barring any sort of uh, major outside catastrophe. Yeah, I was watching an article, not an article, I was watching a, a segment on CNBC about um, inventory shortages and builders, you know, inventory needed. And uh, it was it was interesting to see that that still is very much the case in many markets. And Portland was one of the ones that was that was highlighted as having a, a shortage of inventory in that regards. Um, one thing I will say is for builders out there, I think the biggest opportunity, it's also the biggest challenge, but it is on the lower priced stuff. And it's the biggest challenge for all the reasons you mentioned in this show and all the the costs incurred in in um, development and permits. But um, if there was a, a segment of the market where there really is needed inventory, it's in that, you know, entry level new construction um, price point. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why we're balancing kind of our portfolio of work right now with uh, a fair bit of renovation work as well is because we can essentially offer a new construction like product at yeah. a, you know existing construction price point versus new so um yeah. i think that will remain really strong and um you know i think there's certain outlier spots where you know new construction pricing might get a little soft as we head into next year but that you know meat and potatoes you know under new construction pricing of its turnkey product i just I don't see that going away and getting any less demand in the near future. So Yeah. And you know, an interesting thing that I'm starting to see more, and it'll be interesting to see how builders innovate with this, Tucker. I'm, I'm curious your take. You know, we can wrap up with this. I'm the war, Homes are really starting to change in a way that I've never seen in my lifetime. Um, and I've, you know, I'm starting to see it around my house a little bit. Suddenly you've got Alexa turning on lights. You've got I'm hearing from people about new door locks where you walk up to it and it's programmed to your phone and automatically unlocks the door. Do you think we're going to see a revolution in, in, in new construction or housing? I'm not seeing it yet with new construction. Here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing people buy a house and then they do it themselves, um, which is kind of a pain in the butt, especially if you don't know what you're doing. I mean, I want. do you think we'll start to see builders move in that regards and really start to to create smart homes where this stuff is just built into it and what's your take on that i think it's going to take a little bit of time um i you know the the last couple of houses that i've built for myself we integrated a lot of that smart house technology and i'll be honest i friggin hated a lot because it, it just didn't sometimes it didn't work properly and you know the last thing we want on the builder side is to provide something like that and then have a buyer have the same frustration that i'm having because i can't figure it out or it's not working or it's you know there's an error message or whatever um you and know you have i to think warranty it yeah and then you've got to service that complaint yeah. or that challenge or that issue right and so that becomes very challenging on our end and so i think for that reason you'll see a lot of builders that kind of hold off for now doing that type of stuff and just let the buyers put it in themselves so that then they can work through those issues themselves and we're not kind of roped into you know warranting it helping solve those problems things along those lines because it's really it's technology and I, I think we're close but i think that you know another couple of years and that technology will advance a lot farther and it'll be a lot more seamless I agree. I think I think we're in the early innings of seeing something really some some really cool stuff happen with houses where they really really do work in the manner we're accustomed to on in other parts of our lives. I, we, we, you know, it's starting to happen on the resale side of things. It's starting to happen on the back end with people buying it and doing it themselves. It'll be interesting to see you know which builders and and how they innovate and really start to create product that that goes on the market ready for that um, i think there's i think it's a big opportunity and i think it's gonna be interesting to watch and i agree with you you don't want to be too early in that process and have a bunch of bugs that you're fighting but i think the technology is catching up and the reliability is going to really improve in the next decade or so maybe even yeah. five years yeah. where it 
it starts to be something people are really wanting. Yeah, I completely agree. So yeah. Anyway, good episode, good chat, a lot of good topics. We kind of covered the covered all our bases this week. So hopefully, uh, all you guys out there in Listen Man got uh, you know uh, some good ideas or uh, enjoyed our thoughts on certain things. And uh, you know, I guess before we leave, I hope everybody has a good Turkey Day. I don't know if you're hosting or if you're just enjoying somebody else hosting. Traveling, Steve. traveling to uh, to the to the beach to the north North Oregon coast. Astoria. Kind of a, a, a ritual to go there the last past three years. A little Airbnb action over there. Yeah, so we're excited. There's there's a great brewery scene, by the way, in Astoria. Have you been there recently? I have. I have uh, yeah. quite a bit. Um, but yeah, it's... You know, they've it's revamped along the water there, so I'm sure it'll be a good yeah. time. We're we're hosting. I'm gonna probably just do a lot of watching other people cook uh, while hosting, but uh, yeah. you know, it, it'll be fun. Yeah, kind of yeah. corral my little monsters as they run around, and hopefully, don't break anything. So, but, uh, <laughs> awesome! You got a great house to host in. Have fun, and um, we will uh, catch our listeners on on, on the backside of December, probably with another show somewhere in there. We will. All right, everybody, enjoy your turkey day. We'll see you guys sometime between now and uh, Christmas. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.